Well, what's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's David and Isaac. This is the Sports Ethos Grizzlies podcast. We are back because a cold has been kicking my butt, non-COVID related. I work in the medical field. I get tested twice a week. So it is not COVID, just a cold. But it has been enough that I can't talk for more than a few seconds without coughing my head off. That makes it impossible to do a podcast. But a lot of good stuff have been has been going on for the Grizzlies since the last time that we were here. Yeah, man, the Grizzlies get to win 118-88 over the Detroit Pistons last night. And, and one thing I want to say, and this might not be the case going forward, uh, things can always take a downturn. But one thing that we've seen from this team, even going back to last year, is they've been disappointing in games like this. There have been times where I think twice last year, Oklahoma City Thunder came into the FedEx Forum and beat them, and then they went on the road. I think the next week it lost them again. Same thing happened this year to Oklahoma City Thunder, even though they were playing, they were playing a little bit better than they came in here and beat the Grizzlies. Grizzlies have been known to, to play down the competition at that time. And, and now, I mean, we saw last night, they came out and handled business the way they were supposed to. I mean, when you play a 7-win, a 7-29 team, this is the result that you're supposed to get. And they came out from the jump, man, and, and really took care of business and allowed guys to get some rest. I mean, they're in the middle of a 5-7 and seven game stretch, and you you like for this game to, to get some guys some rest. I know they set Desmond Bain out in this game. We'll see what his status will be on Saturday. I think they just kind of looked at this game against the Pistons and saw, well, this is a game that we feel like we can win. We can rest them because he had been dealing with the quad injury. He got kicked in the, in the, in the thigh uh, back in the, in the win against the Phoenix Suns out in Phoenix. And he's been kind of dealing with that, getting treatment on the sidelines. But he played through it. I think they just saw this as an opportunity to get him to rest. So not playing last night gives him like three days off before Saturday. I think he'll play on Saturday, but I think they just – kind of set them out in this game. But again, man, Grizzlies came out and took care of business, and it's a, a a business-like win. I mean, when you're a good basketball team, really good basketball team, this is what you're supposed to do against these type of teams. And the Grizzlies handle business. Put 188-18 on the board and only giving up 88. Uh, John Morant with 22 points, nine rebounds, six assists, a block, 10 of 19 from the field, uh, two or two for the free throw line in only 25 minutes. And I think they said that him and Zion are the only guys that age to ever – have that type of game in under 25 minutes. I, I thought there was a, a stat that I saw this morning. I think that's what I read. Uh, so, I mean, that's tremendous, man. I have that stat line in only 25 minutes, usually playing 30, 37, 38 minutes. Imagine what he had, what he would have done if he had played that amount of minutes. So, almost a double-double, man, 22-9, six assists and a block, man. Another big night for him. Uh, Dylan Brooks returned. Uh, pretty good return, man, 18 points. We have three rebounds, five assists, three steals, two blocks. Just filling the stat sheet, 8 of 17 from the field, super efficient. You always talk about the efficiency when Dylan is efficient last night, 8 of 17 from the field uh, in 25 minutes. So you look at the starters, man, 29, 25, 21, 28, 26, everybody under 30 minutes. And, and that's kind of like what you want to see from a game like this. Yeah, man. Zaire Williams getting his first career start coming out in that first quarter just looked great. Man. Man, you know, I unfortunately – Got got called out. I didn't get to catch the the second half of this game live, so I had to come back and watch it on film. But you know, the the differences that we're seeing from some of these guys from day one, it, it uh, even of just this season, not just not saying day one of their career, but you know, day one of this season, there were times when Zaire was out there, and, and people were rightfully so questioning. Why, yeah. why is he getting minutes? Because he looked like a deer in the headlights. And then, you know, he, he just came out in attack mode last night, got to the basket a few times, knocking down shots, knocked down a couple of threes. He he is flashing, or he did flash last night, some of the that, that upside that the Grizzlies were going after whenever they drafted him. Yeah, man, and you, you go back to draft night, um, and we, we were just about to jump on our live uh, draft show here with, with football in, now with Ethos. Uh, we were doing a, a live draft show with some of the other guys from uh, around the network. And as, as soon as we were going on, that's kind of when the Grizzlies were picking and came up Zaire Williams. And I think both of us were a little upset with the pick, a little disappointed. You had guys on the board. We were just talking about Moody. Uh, I forgot, Boat Knight was still on the board. A lot of guys that we liked that had talked about. And they, they picked Zaire Williams. And you kind of think, man, is that really the, the pick that got the guy that they moved up to get? And we were a little upset. But at that moment, I accepted the fact, okay, well, I'm going to give this guy a chance. It's not the direction that I would have gone, but, I mean, he's now a Memphis Grizzly. He's going to be on this basketball team, so it doesn't make any sense. It's not productive at all. It's just hate on the kid before he plays the game. Uh, and, and I said from the beginning that this 
front office and this coaching staff decided that they were going to let him be trial by fire with him. They weren't going to put him on a bench. They weren't going to sit him down to the G League. They decided that he was going to get rotation minutes from the jump. And I figured eventually this would pay off. And he's missed some time, and he kind of talked about being able to watch from the sideline and the game slowing down a bit from him. And he's been fantastic since he came back and had his best game as a pro last night. He just had 14 points, two steals, five, eight from the field, two or four from three, two or two from the free throw line, 25 minutes, a plus 21 um, in, in those 25 minutes. And you can just see him using this length to get it in the passing lanes. He's knocking down the three. And, I mean, you can just see why he was a top 10 pick. I mean, you can see flashes of, if, if this guy reaches this ceiling, man, I, I think it's going to be dangerous for the league today. Let the Grizzlies, because the Grizzlies might have another one here. We talk about Grizzlies still in Bain at, at 30 and, and what they've done in the development with guys. If he reaches this ceiling, man, that's going to be a problem because that's another guy that the excuse me, Grizzlies have uh, that, that they took in the draft that I think could really be a, a another piece for this team. I'm sharing my cold with Isaac through, uh, through Zoom <laughs> yeah. here, man. Soaking him <laughs> up. You know, I, I've got to take this time right here. You know, we're talking about Zaire. Got to give Kleiman his flowers. I feel like we do that a lot on this show, but I, the the reason I want to do this is the Sacramento Kings. I, I'm because Sports Ethos is you know like essentially a Sacramento based company. Uh, a lot of us are not in that area, but you know that's where it was all started from. That's where Brew is from. Um, I, I've gotten to build a relationship with a lot of Kings fans and their new GM out there. Monty Williams has done a great job in the draft. You know, he goes out, he gets Tyrese Halliburton last year and, and he took uh, Davion Mitchell this year. And that was kind of a shock to people. You didn't expect Mitchell to go there. or At least I didn't. Um, but he's done some good things with that team, but they've been, bad for so long that that fan base expects the worst that that's that's what they've gotten for 15 plus years and now here we are in memphis we we dealt with a front office that was questionable that made some you know iffy calls and and, and screwed some stuff up we dealt with that for a little while uh, and now we we've got a competent front office and it feels good to you know, even though Zaire was not a guy that Isaac, neither one of us were happy with the pick. And, you know, if you go back and you want to take a look at that video, you could see it in my face whenever I got on there. <laughs> like, I, I was not at all happy with the pick. But Kleiman has not done anything to make us doubt him at this point. That, that He's not made a single move at this point that is reason to doubt what they're doing with this front office and this team in general. Yeah, man, it's refreshing. I mean, because for so long you you just expected, just like you said with Sacramento and their fans, this front office to screw it up. I mean, you just they screwed it up. They screwed it up for so long. I mean, they kind of fell into some things in the core four era. I don't think that was kind of their vision. It just kind of ended up working out some of the moves that they made. And I guess you kind of have to give them a little bit of credit for that. But I think they kind of lucked into some things. And, and I say it time and time again that front office was reactive. This front office is proactive and. When it comes to scouting and, and, and drafting guys, I mean, they've, they've just been fantastic. I mean, there's no way around it. And, and, and Zaire is really showing flashes of, of of kind of the potential that you thought he had. I mean, you watch what he did in high school with some of these mixtapes and, and and some of the uh, some of the plays that he was making. And you can see those flashes. If he reaches his ceiling, and I kind of said Brandon Ingram is kind of a guy that I look at and say, well, if, if he reaches his ceiling, he could possibly be that. And I think you saw a lot of that last night, just using that length to be able to get in passing lanes. And, I mean, he's knocking down the three. Uh, and, and earlier in the season, he was kind of, and I think by design, kind of relegated to be like a corner three-point shooter. He just kind of stand out there and wait for passes. I think now that they're letting him do, letting him take the reins off a little bit and let him do a little bit more trade-wise. I mean, there was one move where he uh, kind of crossed over and did a step-back jumper, uh, mid-range jumper. And I'm like, man, if he he's doing that at that size, I mean, shots are going to be hard to block because how long and how tall he is, I mean, he could, could really be a problem uh, at, at his size and his length. If he could be consistent shooting the basketball and his handles continue to develop, I mean, that he could be a, a big-time player because, I mean, you see all the, the size, the attributes are there. I mean, he just has to put it together. And, I mean, right now, man, 14 points last night, man, a really, really solid game. He's been put, put in the starting lineup the last couple of games, and he's taking advantage of it. Um, and, and it's really – you love to see it. 
uh, because, I mean, this was a guy that a lot of people questioned. Uh, I mean, I even see some people that, that write for the team. Even when he, came, when he came back, I was like, man, I'm glad to see Zaire back. And they're like, why? Like, I had some PMs talking to some people that actually covered the team, and they are asking me why, why am I excited he's coming back. I think after these two games, I think they see why. Yeah, I, that blows my mind, man. I, I, I will never. Yeah, people are already giving up on a kid. I mean, it's been yeah. a half a season of his rookie year, kid that was 19 years old. I mean, let the kid develop. Let him get a chance to play. He hadn't even played badly, really yet. I mean, that's I don't. I've never understood how people give up on on guys that quickly. It just doesn't make any sense. It shouldn't be surprising at this point because you see the way that it has gone down with Jaron, and you know the kind of split reaction of people whenever he signed that contract, and and you know just the negative energy that got kind of tossed his way when he wasn't producing at a high level to start off, but. Give, give these kids some time. I, I always go back. Yeah, I, I've heard the, the saying history repeats itself, right? Look, look, at, look at the history of the league and look how many guys hit the ground running the way that John Morant does. It's, it's not very yeah. many, right? Like it, it, it happens, but it's not super frequent. There are a number of different guys, and, and you know, I, I'll name just a few right here that didn't really start off all that great that as they had time to develop, turned into fantastic NBA players. Chris Middleton, Fred Van Vliet, uh, Julius Randle, Giannis Antetokounmpo, that those guys, you know, Giannis is obviously kind of in, in a different setting than those other three guys. Yeah. But those other three guys are all-star caliber players that didn't exactly come out of the gate lighting it on fire, and they were able to develop. and And Fred Van Vliet is putting together, you know, uh, one of the better seasons in the NBA right now. He, he's playing phenomenal for the Raptors. You know, Randall's he's struggling a little bit this year, but that's not the point. The point is, those guys didn't come out in their first two years killing it. It took them some time to get the speed of the game and develop, and and you know, get their footing underneath them before they were able to be productive NBA players. And yet a guy comes out and plays three or four games and people are ready to just dump all over him. I, it's, it's mind boggling, man. G- give the guy some time. I, I honestly think that this team, I don't know that this team needs to make a trade to be a true competitor. Honest. Like that. I, I think if you, rely on this coaching staff and what they've done, the the ability that they have shown to develop this talent with these guys. I think that they have everything that they need right now on this roster that they could win a title. Yeah. And I was saying not to turn this into a Toronto Raptors podcast. It's not eat those Raptors, but uh, your point on Van Bleek, man, I, I love him. I think he's extremely underrated uh, for, for what he does. I mean, that guy is, is good. And, and I think a lot of people know he's good, but I don't think, he gets the credit for how good he is. I mean, I think he's he's definitely an all-star level player, man. He's been fantastic for Toronto and what he's doing up there. Uh, but to, to go back to your point about where this team needs to make a trade, it, 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 the, the thing about it is, and you kind of look at the situation, the, the kind of consensus has been that they need to go out and get a wing. And now when you, you look at this roster, I mean, you got DB and you know what he brings to the table. Desmond Bain is taking – a tremendous leap this year. Talk about him. And now you got Zaire that you just take, take a number 10. He's out playing well. Kyle Anderson's still here. Like wh- where are you going to put a guy unless you're going to move a couple of these guys out. If you make that deal, who, where, where are they going to play? I don't, I don't think this team needs a wing right now. I, I think this team is loaded on a wing. especially what you're getting for Brooks and Bain right now. If you start getting consistent play from, from Williams, I mean, I, I don't think there's any room for, for, for a wing. I think that, Biggest need for this team is a, is a big. Uh, I think a center. Stephen Adams is kind of that placeholder. I don't think anybody expects him to be the long-term answer here. But I think if you're going to go out and make a move, I think you need to be looking at center. I don't think wing is really where you need to be looking unless you're going to get a superstar player, which I, I don't I don't think that's the type of move. I don't think they want to break up th- this this entire quarter trying to bring in a superstar guy. Like we talk about Jalen Brown and guys like that. If, you, if, if you're not talking Jaron, they're probably – Boston's probably hanging up the phone. And again, I'm not going to take, I'm not dealing Jaron either. So something like that's probably not going to happen. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think this team needs to go out and make a, a big move. I think there are some things that you can do to 
work around the margins, bring in rotation guys, maybe switch some guys out. But I don't think they need to make a major move. I think this team is right where it is because, I mean, right where they need to be right now because you talk about the injuries and all the COVID issues that they've had. And they're sitting here fourth in the West, five games up on the fifth-place Mavericks. And you got Utah, got some COVID issues, some injury stuff going on. Man, you could look up by next week, and they could be right there with Utah for their third seed. And when, well, why are you going out and making a, a big move? We're in what's the year four of this thing. And it's been, again, I mean, it's been really I – I don't know, man. It, it, you just don't usually see what's happening with the Grizzlies. You, things don't usually come together this quickly. Of course, you get John Morant, and that's a generational talent, and that helped a lot. But you just don't see things come together for rebuilding teams. You talk about Sacramento and how years of, of ineptitude they've had there. It, this, so this is special. And I think sometimes we take that for granted, but this is not something that happens every day, what we're seeing with the Grizzlies. We're lucky. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. I, I want to get your thoughts on this. This front office has been kind of heading in one direction, right? So they tell us we're, we're developing, and we see this team overachieving year after year, and because of how well they play, we as we as the fan base – that we as the media, just people that are around this team, people that cover the Grizzlies, that watch the Grizzlies games, we expect that at some point they're going to turn the corner. They being the front office are going to turn the corner and make a move more toward a win now type move as opposed to these future moves that they have been making. What would a move like that, in your opinion, be? Man, it's tough. I mean, in, in the position that they're in, because again, you just this team is overachieved, like you said, every year, and even more so this year. I mean, they're sitting in the fourth spot and could possibly even challenge for the third spot, which I mean, that's crazy stuff. Uh, coming, like I said, coming into the season with you moving out JV, people thinking that you possibly got to take a step back, that they, they're probably going to be not as good this year as they're going to be last year. That hasn't been the case at all, and now you kind of have to toe that line. I've been a person that was kind of felt like they should have been a little bit more in uh, on on right now than they have been. Not that they should go out and, and, and make some dumb move like go all in like we saw with the Atlanta Hawks. And now they're kind of backtracking that in, in, in hindsight, wishing they had done that. They had the GM on a podcast the other day, and he's kind of said that maybe they shouldn't have gone that route uh, because that doesn't always pay out. Sometimes you, you have these young guys and you go too quickly. You pay all the money cap out and bring in all these veterans it doesn't work out and then you're in a spot where you can't really do anything and this front office hasn't done that so you it, it's it's a danger of, of making that kind of move if it doesn't work because you don't want to you're sitting in a great position right now uh with this young roster uh, you got guys on, on still on cheap contracts you're in fourth in the west and making that kind of move you put the danger of maybe you get a little bit better but you're still not true title contender, and then now you're in a situation where you don't have any flexibility and you can't really make any major moves to kind of change things, and that's kind of where they're at right now. Is it time to to make that move? It's a it's a tough situation, man. I, I don't envy them and being in that position because I, I think I don't think I would do it this year. I, I think I would wait to the draft. They have those three draft picks, see what you can get done then. I don't think I would. What's going on right now? I just think I would let it ride out what's going on this season and see what happens at F. If it doesn't work out then, I think I would look to make some moves this offseason because, again, I know you're not going to use all three of those first-round picks. So there's going to be something done there. I think that's kind of the thing. I don't think I would do anything major at this trade deadline. I think that's that's rushing it. I think you just see this out because it's going so well right now. What if the team ends up third in the West? I mean, I and you haven't even made that major move yet. So I think you're in a in a great spot, and I think that gives you an opportunity to kind of wait it out, and I think that's the way I would go. You know, if you look at the way that the Milwaukee Bucks put that team together around Giannis, they kind of they had this ascent where you know Giannis he he starts getting better and Chris Middleton's getting better, and then both of these guys are all star talents. And Milwaukee gets into the playoffs, they can't get over that hump. They they can't push it to the next level. They're they're a good team. They're not a great team. Can't exactly push it over the hump. Then the, the front well, office goes out yeah. and gets a guy it's like Holiday. Holiday because they knew exactly what they needed. They knew with, without – there, there was no doubt 
that they needed a third guy on that team that was able to handle the ball, run the offense, go out and get his own shot. And a guy that, that is not demanding in the, you know, like that offense generally for the most part is going to run through Giannis. Drew Holiday can play off the ball. If Giannis is off the floor, Drew Holiday can run the offense. They needed another guy like that. They need, and and he ended up being exactly what they needed. But th- they didn't really rush it there. Yeah, they they didn't super accelerate their process. They were letting things develop, and in a small market, man, I really truly think that that's how you have to do it because you can you can shoot yourself in the foot. You know, you're talking about that, that Hawks deal, and now that there's talks, Cam Reddish is a hell of a young talent. Like he, he and they're talking about moving off of him. Yeah, like why? Why are you? You know, look when everybody goes down in COVID protocol, Cam Reddish comes out and he's dropping thirty points a game. He can do it at this level, but because the Hawks accelerated that process, now they're going to have to move some some of those young pieces probably in order to unload some of those contracts that aren't looking so good right now. So it's, there's a fine line and I'm confident that climbing in this front office is going to be able to do it. I just don't know that, you know, I, I don't think fans are going to be happy with the time frame, regardless of what, you know, unless some sort of miracle happens and the Grizzlies manage to win a title this year. Like I, I don't know that the fans are going to be happy with the timeline. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, that, that man, that's all pretty much always going to be the case. But I, I think I think you need to let this one play out without doing anything major because you want to see where this group can get you uh, before you start cutting into your your rotation guys because they made the playoffs last year. But last year was kind of like okay, we're just, just sneaking in, we're in the play in, we're just kind of happy to be there, and they they made the playoffs last year. Now. You were fourth in the West. You, you possibly couldn't beat in the third. See if this team can win a playoff series that's constructed. And because I, I don't think you want to, again, gut your assets before you find out what, how far this team can get you. Can they get you to a second round series? I don't think anybody's expecting anything more than that. If they get to the second round, I think that would be fantastic uh, for, for this year. But I think you want to see if that can happen before you kind of start messing with things. But I think because, I mean, there will be opportunities. Again, they have those three draft picks. They're going to do something. Whether it's at this deadline, whether they do decide to go ahead and make a move then or, or they do it during the draft or during the offseason, they're going to make some moves. I, I don't think they're anything about that, but I don't think you have to make this huge move like everyone was thinking because I think this team is overachieved so much you realize, like, you might have those guys on this roster. You just need to continue with the internal development. And, and I yeah. think that's where they're at right now. And, again, I think I'll let this play out because I think I think this team can, can is constructed can want to play out series, especially – if they get home court advantage, stay there in the top four, I, I think this team can win a playoff series. And I think that's – go back to last year, I don't think that's something that you expected out of this group. It felt like at that point you need to go out and do something to get over the hump. And I, I think you might be able to get over that first hump, like basically essentially getting into the second round without doing it. Yeah, and I really think that that's kind of that's going to be what they decide to do. Don't get me wrong. If something comes along and, Always. and there's a team, I, I was watching TNT for a little bit last night before the Grizzlies came on, and Charles Barkley was talking about teams that have kind of hit their peak and they needed to go into some form of a rebuild. He, meant, he mentioned, excuse me, the 76ers, the Trailblazers, and the Boston Celtics specifically. So – if Boston calls and they're they're going to be interested in a package, like say it's Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams, and five first round picks for Jalen Brown, send it, shipping it out. Let's go. I, I'm fine with a move like that, but to to go and and package together four or five of the the, the pieces that you have right now, the chemistry is so good. This team is playing so well to completely disrupt that. I, I feel like that's a mistake. And so, you know, like obviously Boston is probably not going to take anything like that for, for Jalen Brown, but you don't know where their mindset is. You, you don't know what's going on in that process. So we, we don't really know what the trades are going to, there's, there's guys, I know you mentioned, uh, not in this show, but you mentioned to me about um, the national media talking about the fit with Jeremy Grant. 
Yeah. And, you know, if, if the price is right, I have no issues with that. I like Jeremy Grant as a player. He has shown up there in, in Detroit that he's able to be uh, inefficient, but he, he can be a focal point of the offense if need be. And he showed in the, uh, in Denver before he went to Detroit that he can be a secondary piece and he doesn't have to have the ball in his hand that much to be productive. Fantastic defender. I think that he would be a, a great fit next to Jaron and with this team. But, you know, I think it's all about getting the right price. And, and I feel like that Kleiman and them have done a great job doing that so far. And I, I don't see them – I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think that we see a big, massive trade from them. I think we see something more of a, of a move up in the draft rather than going out and making a huge plat, uh, splash to get a star player. Yeah, I mean, I, they're, they're not going to get fleeced. Uh, this front office, if it doesn't make any sense, I mean, they're very thinking, thinking long-term and smart and what's best for the future. They're not going to do something that's questionable, I don't think, or – I mean, from the history, they haven't done anything like that. And I don't see them getting fleeced or making a bad deal. If they make a deal, it's going to it's gonna be because they feel like it's the best thing for the future. And I just don't think there's enough information yet. Again, they made the playoffs last year, and that was kind of a situation where, okay, we broke through, we made the playoffs, but we're probably not going to win a series. We can go in there and compete hard and play hard, and that's what happened. Uh, they, they were in all of those games, only end up winning one. Uh, of course, game one without Donovan Mitchell. Uh, but – I, I think you got to get more information on on this particular team with the guys that are here now and your core guys that are part of this rotation. What's what's their ceiling? What can they get you to this year? And if that doesn't work out, maybe you can reevaluate that time. Maybe you say, well, now I know that we don't feel like this particular guy is going to be a part of the long-term future. Maybe we move him out. But right now, I just think by the deadline, I think it's too early to kind of make those judgments. I do think they do something, uh, but I don't think it's going to be anything major and we, we are going to get back to the game we haven't talked about the game at all but i do want to bring this up quickly before we go back to the game and close it out um, i put a poll up about a week ago on twitter kind of looking forward to the trade deadline and you kind of look at the, the roster and kind of some of the obvious guys that you would think of that they would possibly move and of course the two guys top of the list would be tyus jones and, and kyle anderson of course jared culver is another name he has a six and a half billion dollar expiring maybe even Stephen Adams, depending on what you're bringing back. So those are kind of the guys that you would look at if you were going to move, even though I, I think I would take Adams off that list because I don't think you're going to bring back the kind of the right guy. Because, I mean, he's been fantastic. It was late earlier in the season. I think I probably would have felt more that he could be a guy that's going to be moved. I, I doubt he's moved. But I put Kyle Anderson and Tyus, Anderson, uh, Tyus Jones and kind of asked, who do you think is more likely to be moved out? And I kind of knew the way the poll was going to go when I put it out, because I know how fans think and, and they look at, I feel like Ty, Kyle Anderson is actually uh, more likely to be moved or not to be moved. And Tyus Jones is more likely to be moved. And from a fan perspective, a lot of people say that doesn't make any sense, but you kind of have to look at this front office. And we've talked about the way they operate and the way they do things. You look at the situation and fans are like, Oh, well, Tyus Jones is more important to what this team is doing right now. This team's in fourth. They're, going to be challenging in the playoffs we need that backup point guard Tyus has been fantastic but when you look long term at the situation uh, and Tyus has been playing well and I think that might make it even even more likely that he's moved because I think it ups his trade value he's going to be a free agent at the end of, of, of this year and he's going to get offered a significant amount of money on, on the open market and there are even some opportunities I think with some teams you look around the league where he could go somewhere and start and again like I wouldn't blame him at all man for going to get that bag and going to, to find somewhere where you can start. I, I just don't think the Grizzlies are going to pay him what he's going to be worth on open market to back up John Morant. I mean, John Morant's going to play 38 minutes a game. He's an all-star. Uh, could be possible first first team all-NBA. When, when you look at guys like that, look around the league and, and, and tell me who those guys' backups are. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to say it. You're not going to be able to tell me who those, their backups are. That's why Grizzlies are not going to pay $8, 9 $10 million to keep Dias Jones to, to back up John Moran. Now, if he takes a hometown discount, like, man, I just want to be here. Uh, need to do your team that kind of helped me develop when I came over from Minnesota. I love these guys. I want to be here. I'll take a discount. Maybe so, but I, I don't expect him to do that. I don't think he should do that. If he can find a place to get more money and start, man, by all means, go do that. And with Kyle, 
I think they both could be moved. But with Kyle, I think there's more of a chance that Kyle signs an extension and he's still here than it is with Tyus Jones. Now, this front office, maybe they look at this year and say, okay, well, we're all in, man. We, we're going to keep him. We, we're fourth in the West. We need what he's bringing off the bench and we keep him here. But that's just not what we've seen from this front office. And I think if you do ride it out, I think you're going to lose him for nothing because I just I think there's the chances of him being back next year are slim to none. So I think it's more likely that, that Tyus Jones will be moved. And I know in the short term, that seems like it wouldn't be a smart move, but I, I know this front office and what they've done in the past, unless they completely change course, I think that's kind of what I see. I just don't see them losing an asset for nothing because that just hasn't been their MO. Helps if you unmute your mic, man. I think if you you, you look back, the only time that they have let an asset go, and, and, and I don't know how much of an asset you can really say that he was, but – they had uh, Gorgie on the expiring yeah. contract, and we thought and that, that was we surprising. It was surprising, yeah. You know, and, and they, they didn't make a move using that contract, but that's really been the only time. My the argument to that is Tyus Jones is not Gorgie. You, you know, Gorgie is on the, the back end of his career. Like, he, he is not a guy that is going to go out and be able to play 30 plus minutes a night. He just he doesn't have it in the tank anymore. Tyus Jones is still young enough and still productive enough that, yeah, he's going to call for that kind of money in free agency because he deserves it. And so, you know, he, he, he is far more valuable of an asset. Him and him and Kyle both are far more valuable. Um, you know, you look at teams that are, are trying to win now, and Kyle Anderson is a guy that you could plug in on a lot of those teams – He's a guy that can come in and plays winning basketball. He impacts the game without requiring any type of offensive load. He can score. You know, he showed that last season with Jaron being out and him being a huge part of this, this offense. He can score, but he does so many other things that contribute to winning. He, he's a perfect plug-and-play piece regardless of what the team there, – there's not a team in the league that, Ty, or that uh, Kyle could go to where he would throw a wrench in the chemistry. He's just that type of player. No, when you look at teams around the league, I mean, you could see a fit with him for for Utah, I think, would be fantastic. Uh, I think he'd fit in with kind of the way that they play. Um, I think he would be – I mean, there will be a lot of teams interested in him, teams that feel like they can win a championship now. Milwaukee uh, is a team where I could see him fit in kind of with the way they play off the bench. I think he'd be a, a fantastic piece for them uh, off the bench. So there will be interest there, I think. There would have been more interest last year. I think they kind of missed the window to kind of sell high on him last year, but I still think they'll they'll be interest. And again, man, I mean, we just Gorgi, like you said, is kind of the only example that we've seen of them kind of letting a, a guy go without catching in on. Like, I don't know what you could get for a package of Tyus Kyle Anderson. You just never know. I mean, then you could package the first round pick with him. You just never know what's gonna materialize. Like people talk about deals all the time. And usually the deals get made or nothing that anybody's ever come up with. It's, just, it's usually something off the wall or something that you don't even expect. And what ends up happening to people, that's why I kind of hate when people always talk about, oh, well, you can't get this for this guy or you can't move this guy where he's going to be. And you just never know. And these deals pop up. And you're like, oh, okay, well, well, I had no idea that would ever happen. And that's kind of what you usually see when it comes to trades. It's usually not what you expect. So we'll see. But I would be surprised if they let those guys walk without getting anything for them if, if they're not going to extend them. Uh, and which again with Tyus, I just don't see them paying what what he's gonna what he's gonna get on the open market or what he's gonna get offered on the open market to kind of back up John Morant with him being the level player that he is. I still think there's a chance that Kyle gets extended, but it, it, I, that's why I kind of think it's more likely if, if one of them one of them is moved at the deadline, I think it's gonna be Tyus. And again, I I know that doesn't fit kind of with the win now narrative and, and where they are, but you gotta understand, man, this front office has said time and time again, and their actions have proved it that everything they do, they view it through the prism of long-term and losing an asset like Tyus Jones, which you can get something for it. There's no doubt about that. Without, without, without moving him again, it would be short-sighted. And that's just not something that this front office has done over the years. But go back to the game, man. Uh, Steven Adams with another big game. Two points, 14 rebounds, five offensive rebounds, four assists, one block. Uh, the only bad thing on, on the night was the free throw shooting. Two of six from the free throw line. 22 minutes plus 26. Again, man, the starters got all played less than 30 minutes, man, with all fantastic. I mean, you look 
John Morant plus 29. Uh, you got Dylan Brooks plus 25. Zaire Williams plus 21. And, and a lot of people were on Jaron Jackson Jr. last night. So he 11 points, six rebounds, one steal, two blocks, five of 13 from the field, one of four from three, 27 minutes. I know he, he's not having these big offensive numbers and not having 10 rebounds, but people just don't understand the impact that he has on the defensive end. Just look at the numbers, man. Just go down, delve into the metrics, and you will see how important. This team, I think, is up, up to the middle of the pack defensively. And a lot of that has to do with Jaron Jackson Jr. And if you go – Look at it and see what they are, what they're like off when he's off the floor. Plus, when he's on the floor, you'll see how impactful he is for this team. That's why, even though he only got eleven points, he's plus twenty eight on the night. Yeah, second highest on the team behind only John Moran. That that's that there is so much more to basketball than points, assists, and rebounds. The problem is the media has trained everybody to pay attention to got to be twenty and ten. Th- those be numbers. It, you know, if you're not hitting these numbers, you're not, you know, like you're not having success. I, I, I go back to the time that Steve Nash won the MVP over Kobe Bryant. Go back and look at their numbers comparatively between the two. And, and Steve, and I'm not, I'm not here to argue of, of who should have or should not have won that MVP, but go back and look at that year, the year that I'm, do you remember what year that was, Isaac? I can't remember. I, I can't remember exactly what year it is, but but that's a great uh, point for for what, what we're trying to make. Why? Should, because the importance that that Steve Nash had to that team. I mean, it was just unmeasured. Their, their entire offense. They could have done. They would have been a completely different team with a different guy. Uh, what, what he meant for that team, I think, is even you can't even measure how much he meant for that team, and that's why he won MVP. People look at these numbers, and again, he's not Jared's not scoring twenty to ten, and they're like. But he's not he's not producing. And I mean this this impact on the defensive end again, man. Just go look at the numbers. We've talked about it on here. You can go check them out for yourself. This team is a completely different team when he's off the floor defensively. I mean, it's crazy how big of a difference that he makes. Like you don't see guys that make the difference that he's making for this team defensively this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 actually hunting the metrics right now while you were talking about it so I can give you guys the numbers, the difference with Jaron on the floor, this team, their defensive rating is 106.6 with Jaron off the floor. It's 113.6. That's a seven, seven point, point seven point swing man. on the defensive end. And I didn't even look at the offense to see, but, but you're, you're talking about, you know, they're in the, the top echelon of teams when Jaron is on the floor, when he's off the floor, they're, they're toward the bottom of the league. And so he impacts winning. He doesn't have to score 20 and 10. He doesn't have to, you know, I mean, the, him being on the floor, his help defense, him being disruptive, the, the number of different, just his versatility overall is much more impactful than him dropping 20 and 10 every night. And, and that's, you know, you can argue and say, oh, well, if he dropped 20 and 10, they would be winning. You know, they'd have 35 wins right now. Uh, maybe, may, maybe they would, but it, they're winning the way that they're winning with him putting up the numbers that he's putting up. And, and it's, man, I, I just, I don't even know what to I say mean, about it. I don't yeah, feel like, I mean, like, I can't say enough about it. If you're not convinced that he's impacting winning right now, there's nothing that I can say that's going to change your mind. But just like Isaac said, if you jump into the numbers, if you look at the the analytics side of it and what he's doing, what he's bringing to this team, it's it's huge. It's massive. And that's without those big numbers. Yeah, after every game you jump on Twitter, you have people on here talking about, I'm ready to trade this guy for – Two pieces of lint and some chewing gum. I'm like, you you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, like take him out of this lineup for a game and see what, what happens with this defense. Like I just people just look at numbers, they're they're box score watchers. They don't really understand the game of basketball and what he brings to the table. It's just ridiculous, man. And I get tired of it. It, it pisses me off so much that every time I, I, I get on Twitter, I jump off. Well, he man, he's not rebounding the basketball. He's he's not scoring enough. I mean, he he's not hitting threes. And, and, I mean, we've seen Jaron do that, and there are going to be times again in the future where he does that. He's in a, he is in a struggle offensively right now, but he's definitely not in the struggle on the defensive end. And, again, this team has made leaps and bounds on defense from what they were doing at the beginning of the season. And, again, a lot of that has to do with 
Jaron Jackson Jr. is in back here on the defensive end. Uh, coming coming out the bench last night, we talked about the starters, man. BC has it, looked fantastic as of late. 11 points, four rebounds, two assists, a block, five or nine from the field, 22 minutes, uh, a net positive. He had another big game last night, and really good to have BC back, man. Welcome welcome back, BC. Outside of, of the, the three-point shot, man, he looks like the guy that we saw his rookie year. Yeah, the, they've gone back to letting him do what he does best, and, and that is, you know, playing around the rim. He, the the game is transitioning to where you want guys in your lineup that can knock down threes, and, and I, I feel like year one to year two, they wanted him to shoot more threes, and so stuff changed, injuries happened, the, the season was funky anyway. Um, but this year, it seems like he's just doing more of the, the rim running type thing, you know, making the cuts when he needs to, being there to get the rebounds and put them back in. I, he's not shooting as many threes, and and I love it. I love to see it. You know, that's definitely – he was a guy that two years ago was on the no-trade list for me. Like, yeah. he, he was <laughs> a core part of this team. And then there's been times where he's been on the bench and he's been DNP coach's decision. So it's great to watch a guy bounce back from struggling to he's out here, he's producing, he's he's being the Brandon Clark that we know that he can be. And I just love to see it. He's, he's one of my favorite guys. Yeah, man, I, I love BC and what he brings to the table. It's been weird, man. You don't usually see a guy that kind of has the peaks and valleys that he had. I mean, like you said, I think for, for me and for you and for, for most people that cover team and Grizzlies fans that first year, like, man, it's – is a steal here where we got him. I think he still is where, where they got him. I think it's a good move that they got him in hindsight. I think I still make that move, but I mean, there have been times, like you said, where he's being BCD in like consecutive games where he, you, you're not even seeing him. And then there are other times where he's been playing really well and then goes back to the bench. I mean, there's been a lot of peaks and valleys for him, for a guy uh, in, 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 in his third year that you just usually don't see with guys, but really good to see him back out there. And it looks like he's having fun with the game again. And that's a, a big part of it. So I'm glad to see what BC is doing. Uh, Tyus with a, a huge game off the bench, uh, 14.4 rebounds, four assists, and just super efficient, man. He's really shooting the basketball well this year. I always go back to what he said at media day about how upset he was with the shooting, his three-point shooting last year. Said he was getting three to 400 shots up a day, and you can really tell that that paid off because he's shooting the basketball better than he's ever has in his career. And was six or seven from the field, two or two from three last night, 20 minutes, a plus three. Uh, but what one positive about last night is that the extended garbage time and allowed kind of these young guys to get in there. Aldama with 18 minutes, uh, Tilly with 19 minutes. Who else we got here? Um, even the Culver uh, played six minutes. Even some of the guys that, that are on, on the on the 10 day contract, Dakota Mathias out there looking like a looking uh, uh, looking look, look like Luca Doncic. I saw him Dakota Luca Mathias when he came in. I was like, who's that Luca out there? He's like built just like the guy. Came in and knocked down two threes. Man, that was. Good to see. Get him in a, in a in a hustle uniform stat. Like I like to see him stick around, man, because he can really shoot the basketball. Uh, Dequan Jeffries is, is, is a guy he just picked up. He got in, had two points. Jared Culver, two points. Uh, John Tesk is a, a center that they just picked up. Uh, he got three minutes last night. He had a rebound and assist. Um, and, and I do want to mention Melton. Uh, we haven't mentioned Melton. His first game back struggled on the offensive end, but did a lot of other things. Only had four points, but did have eight rebounds, six assists, a steal, a block. Uh, did, did hit a three, one of six, one of one from the free throw line, still a plus two. And, and that lets you know that even though how, how bad he struggled on the offensive end, everything else that he brought in those intangibles were still there and his offense will come around. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we know that about Melton. We know that he is going, he's another guy that, you know, even when he's struggling offensively, he's going to make an impact elsewhere on the floor to impact winning. So, you know, great to see him back. Glad to see that, you know, the, the, the team is getting mostly healthy again. Um, not completely, obviously, but that, that's once ever we we get these guys back from protocols, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I had some some other stats lined up, but man, I, I think this cold is is about done me in. I don't know if I've got <laughs> any more left in me. So, uh, I, there, there's one more thing I want to get your thoughts on before we get out of here. I, I can't get away from this podcast without talking about this, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, but Kendrick Perkins said that John Morant has a Michael Jordan ceiling. What What are your thoughts on that? Did you see that? I, I did not see that, but we, we all know that uh, Perk is with us, man. He is – that's like all he talks about. Like, anytime you turn on ESPN, if you see Perkins, 
he's not going to get off a segment without missing a job and ran into Grizzlies. Uh, and I think he actually watches the games. And that's the thing about a lot of the national media, for some reason, they're still not paying attention to this team. They just don't give credit to, like, I, I was looking on um, on, on FanDuel this morning, and I was looking at some of the future bets in, in Vegas. And the Grizzlies are fourth in the West right now. And I think they have, when you look at the odds to win the West, I think they're like seventh on there. Like, how can you how can you watch what's going on? And still, they still have the Clippers and the Nuggets, and I, one other team still in front of them. I can remember maybe Dallas. And I'm like, I, why would you say that? Other than you're just not paying attention to what's going on. And Perk is definitely does not fit in that category. And finally, we have someone in the, in the media that he's 100 in. Man, they can put him on payroll. Uh, but as far as the Michael Jordan thing, man, I think the sky's the limit with Josh. I think it goes to something that we talked about earlier about guys not usually coming in and and be, being anything close to what they're going to be immediately. I think that's how you knew how special job was going to be because he came in that first year. I mean, he's, it wasn't what he is now, but he was awesome his first year. And I think then I was like, you knew this guy is going to be special. So I'm not putting any limit on him. I mean, I could, that's a lot of the expectations for my, for my taste. I think Michael Jordan's the, the GOAT. I, I know a lot of people disagree. A lot of people now, especially younger people, people in their 20s say LeBron. I, I think Michael Jordan's the GOAT and it's not any question. So I think that's a, a, a lofty goal. But again, man, I, I think the sky's the limit for Ja. I don't put any cap on it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I uh I, I agree with you in the the fact that it's it's definitely lofty. I'm I'm not one I'm never a fan of comparisons when you're talking about X player compared to, you know, this all time great. Because those all time greats, man, it's and especially a guy that, that is in the in the GOAT consideration, whether you think it's Jordan or LeBron or, or Kareem or whoever you think it is, comparing other players to them, to me, it, it's it's crazy. Because how, like, did, did you know when Jordan was at North Carolina that yeah. he was going to, you know, turn into Michael Jordan? And, and I, I think that, you know, the answer to that is no. You know, no. you knew that he no, was no, good. No. And, and and obviously the GMs didn't know that Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan, you know, like Steph Curry went after Johnny Flynn in, in the NBA draft. Yeah. You know, l- look at some of the other names that went in front of him. You you don't know when they're in college and, and, and you know, Ja is not in college anymore. He's doing this at the NBA level. He's, he's playing incredible. I, I don't put a ceiling on him either. I, I just think it's, it's just wild to me to compare players to all time greats. Because I, I don't know that this early in their career that you can say that this player is going to get to, you know, whatever landmarks they have to get to to be in that conversation. So I just thought it was fantastic that somebody from Memphis is getting that that type of recognition. And I, I wanted to mention it on here because if there's anybody that hadn't heard that he said that, I, you know, do, do you understand what kind of player the Grizzlies have and John Morant? And, you know, we, we've been saying on here for a while that he's generational talent, and that, that term gets thrown around pretty loosely. But th- there's not, you know, like generational talent is not just because you're in the NBA. You know, g- generational talent is guys, you know, Kobe Bryant, um, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. You know, the, there's more guys on the list than just those. But, you know, we're talking about top of the top and John Morant has got that type of DNA, I believe. Yeah, and, and, and to go back to Steph, I mean, when, when he was coming out that year, he was like, too small, uh, going to get pushed around. He's coming out of Davidson, and we know he can shoot the basketball well, but will he be even be able to get his shot off? And now he saw how the impact that he's had on the game of basketball in, in the three-point shooting. I mean, nobody expected him, him coming out. And, and John Morant, the same way. I mean, we never didn't get any D1 offers. Too small, too skinny, too weak. He's not going to be able to play. I want to be one level. Look what he's doing already in year three. You just never know uh, with, with these guys. Because like you said, I mean, Johnny Flynn, we're, he's, he's been out of the league for years now. And Steph Curry has been a, a generational talent, like you said, with, with throwing it around. And it's really changed the way game basketball game is played. Just his impact is, is immeasurable. And nobody would have thought that coming out. I mean, nobody. I'm sure he probably didn't even think that coming out. But again, man, those are lofty goals. And again, I, I don't love comparing guys, especially when you're talking about guys of that magnitude. But again, with John, what he's showing right here in year three, I don't think there's any cap on, on what he could do. I, I'm not going to do it. And 
Talk about level of talent that we've had in Memphis, man. How about Josh third in fan voting uh, for, yeah. among the Western Conference? Man, that's big-time stuff for a market like Memphis. I mean, you talk about smallest market in the league to have a guy be third in fan vote. That just lets you know. It lets me know. That's why I was interested to see those first-round results come out because I wanted to see how much this was res- resonate nationally. And, and you can see it, man. Um, and I'm hoping he can get up past Luca. Of course, Steph Curry was number one, Luca number two. John Morant, number three, I think he was a little bit over 100,000 uh, behind Luca. Man, it would be nice to get up to number two, but I think he has a real shot at starting the All-Star game. And that's something I don't know if I ever thought we'd see from a, from a Memphis Grizzlies. So it's this is something different, people. We've never had this. We've had guys in All-Star games. Zebo's been in All-Star game. Mark has been in there. Powell's been in there. But it's never been anything like this. This guy has a chance to be a, a starter in All-Star game, third in, in fan voting in an All-Star game. And it's coming out of a small market like Memphis, man, that's – Nothing short of remarkable. It is, man. I, I, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you can get me on Twitter. I'm at DWill2111. The show is at Ethos Grizzlies, E-T-H-O-S, Ethos Grizzlies. Isaac, I, I'll let you finish up, man. If you got anything else you want to say, by all means, go ahead. But I, I'm fighting. I'm muting my mic off and only <laughs> quite a bit here, trying not to cough into it. So I'll let you finish it up and get us out of here, man. Yeah, man, real quickly, I'm not going to go through the, the entire spiel like I usually do, but looking at the team stats, man, dominant night on the boards for the Grizzlies last night, winning the, the rebound, the, the battle of the glass, 61 to 39 and 18 to 10 on offensive rebounds. And that's a lot of that goes to Steven Adams, man, 14 rebounds for him. You look at John Morant, nine rebounds last night. Um, start, starters did a good job rebounding the ball. Jared Jackson Jr. with six. That's a pretty good number for him. And you look off the bench, BC with four, Tyus with four, uh, Melton with eight. Um, so it was a fantastic night. Rebound the basketball for the Grizzlies as they are number one rebound team in the NBA, man. They continue to show that night in and night out basis. I think that's one reason why they've been so successful as of late. But you can find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore rivals, I-S-A-A-C underscore rivals. Grizzlies with a matinee tomorrow, uh, 2.30 p.m., taking on the L.A. Clippers on the back-to-back. They'll take on the Lakers on uh, on Sunday at the, at the Crypt, as, as, they, as they now call it, no longer the Staples Center. Excuse me, man. It's transferring, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting the calls over here too. But uh, hopefully, the Grizzlies, man. I said coming into this week that I would like to see them go three and two. Uh, you split the, the East Coast road trip, beat Detroit. You kind of split these. They went two and zero on the East Coast trip, beat Detroit. So, man, uh, by all means, opportunity to go five and zero. But at, at best, go four and one, man. Find a way to split these, and that's a fantastic week to, to go four and one, which looked like a a tough week with five and seven days to, to win four of those would be fantastic. And they still got opportunity to win five. And with Utah, Utah's 11 and a half point underdog tonight. They got half the team out and they're on the back to back at Indiana tomorrow. Chance for you to make a, make a move at the third seat. Uh, but again, man, Clippers tomorrow, Madden 30 Lakers on Sunday night, eight 30. We'll be back at some point. It'll be Sunday night for a post game. We'll see uh, or tomorrow. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, until next time for David, I'm Isaac. It's East Coast Grizzlies. We'll catch you on the other side.